God bless you all. Are you ready for this word? We have been so blessed for years by the ministry of Living Waters, excuse me, Desert Stream Living Waters Ministry. We've been so blessed. I feel like I've been in revival this week. Friday night was kinship. Saturday all day was Living Waters. And here we are Sunday. Somebody praise God. Maybe we ought to do this every week. And with joy, um, our friends have come. They are a part, a great part of what has happened here at Freedom over the years. I can't even remember, Tom, how long ago was it that we started Living Waters here at Freedom Fellowship? I can't remember. Was it 12 years ago? And uh, through that, I tell people, I tell people all the time who come to me and say, Pastor, what are we going to do about the relational wounds and brokenness in our church and all the things that are going on in our culture? And I say, well, let me tell you what we've been doing for years now. We've been seeing people set free. And can I tell you that through the years, I can, I can assure you, we could line people up around this building, all the way around it, who have been set free from brokenness that some people believe it is impossible to overcome. And it happens constantly at Freedom Fellowship. And in no small part by the ministry of these good people under the leadership. We have, in fact, we have three here today and we're so grateful for Abby and for Marco and for Andy uh, who are here today to share with us. Would you receive them with blessings and love? My brother, Andy Comiskey. Thank you. Thank you, brother. You're amazing. Hello, everyone. Thanks so much. You, you would have come anyway. I mean, you didn't come because of me, but uh, so good to see you all, and I'm so happy to be here. What an amazing pastoral duo you have there. It's extraordinary, and this worship is amazing. It just blew the lid off of my entire being. The first round, and I thought, okay, maybe the second one is a little quieter. I mean, maybe like they expended most of it the first time. So then the second time, it was like, you know, I mean, the bass player like combusted. He was just like this burning thing, this bass player on fire. Really so amazing. Um, and actually, we need that, right? Because there's such a film, there's such a low ceilinged film. <laughs> over all of us. You know, you could say that that's just sin in general, but there's another layer now, of course, and we don't have to go into all the details of that. And so this, this warfare of worship that we're doing, we're pressing in and we're saying, we're going to worship you, Lord. I can't figure anything out except you are who you say you are, and I'm going to give you your due. And so I was in this little holy corridor. <laughs> there was some action going on in here. I mean, strongholds were coming down. <laughs> I, I'm, okay, I'm going home a different man. Let's just put it that way. I've got my healing and I'm getting out of here. No, anyway, so good, so blessed. We worship Jesus. We anoint him with songs of love because we are grateful. We worship out of 
gratitude. He did for us what only He could do. He forgave our sins. Only God can wash us clean. Only God. Good people can forgive us our sins if we ask for their forgiveness. But only God can make us new. Only God. Only God makes us new. Another creature cannot do it. Only God. So we sing out of gratitude. We wash his feet with tears of thankfulness. Only Jesus knows the depths of our sin. And only Jesus can break off its shame. In this way, we really don't have to deny the monstrous things we've done. Or even the monstrous things that we're still capable of doing. He alone cancels the depth of our sin. Our sin sickness, our disease invites us to rely upon this master physician deeply and constantly because of the sins that he has forgiven and also because of the sins that still seek to sicken us. Now, those aren't all sins for all of us, but we all have familiar things. We all have something familiar that we know on the one hand was the thing that caused us to want to avoid the holy ones, and at the same time, that kept us hoping against hope that this Jesus could break its back. I think we have to even learn how to cultivate gratitude for some of these sinful inclinations, not sin, but inclinations that Jesus may well be employing today to keep us near him in gratitude. In other words, I can't afford to not abide in my cure. I can't afford it. I know myself too well now. I can't take the risk of keeping the eyes of my heart off of him. I am abiding in my Cure. I'm not practicing the presence of my weakness. I'm practicing the presence of my cure. The master physician. Christ in me, I in him. I'm in the physician, and I need him. Not ashamed of that. I need my cure more today than yesterday. I'm closer now than I was yesterday, and I need him all the more. Press in to your cure. He surrounds you nearer than a brother, nearer than a mother, nearer than the best lover. As was said, we are in love with him, 
in God, in Christ, in the cure. Our worship of him, our gratitude expressed in worship is warfare. <laughs> I don't like when people talk to the devil all the time. I just want to worship Jesus. The devil flees when we worship Jesus. When we keep the eyes of our heart fixed on him. So grateful for who he is. Just for who he is, but also because he did this for me. He did it for me. He knows me. He died for me. He's relentless in love for me. I love that. Devil flees when we worship him from that core place. Thank you. You did what only you could do. Good people have tried to love me. They could never do what you did, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This worship cancels out every accusing word. All the static the enemy wants to throw in our way. Oh, you did it again. Oh, you're thinking that? Who do you think you are? All those critical religious voices. Worship breaks its power. The accuser flees. Even, especially religious accusation. That's the worst. I mean, the enemy's a liar. He's a good one. So he'll even use bad religion, old voices, you know? Worship is warfare. The enemy skulks off. We say, oh, I'm, I'm in my beloved now. <laughs> I, I can't listen anymore. I'm in the beloved, and the beloved's in me. Every word, every glance. For many of us, it's not just a word or something audio. It's like a glance. It's like, it's like we fear that even some people are looking at us like that. And because people have, right? People have looked at us like that critically or kind of like, what, what, what are you doing here? What's the matter with you? You know, we've, we've seen that a lot over the course of our lives for different reasons. And we can, we can still see that. Out of, out of the, the, the diseased eye, the old ways of, of comprehending and looking at the reality around us, we can, we can almost smell it or see the rejection. When we're, when we're in our beloved, when we're in that place of worship warfare, we don't see those glances. Sometimes they're perceived, sometimes they're projected, sometimes they're real. In a way, it really doesn't matter. Because I don't, I don't walk about in Christ sort of with this searchlight of who's rejecting me here. I come with a greater authority. And that is the authority of the merciful Jesus who wants to land right at the core of that accusing person and set them free in the power of his mercy. The sinful woman in Luke 7 teaches us how to do this. She teaches us how to wage this kind of warfare in worship. Let's read a little bit about her. She teaches us how to live as a grateful worshiper. Luke 7, 36 
35-38. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flax of, flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet, anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you've rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, were forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. So we have two different parties here encountering Jesus. The first is a sinful woman. You could say she lived in the outer courts of the temple, in the outer courts of the culture. She lived close to the edge morally and economically. She was a poor woman, caste system of the day, shunned on the lower rung. People who are subject to this kind of marginalizing are vulnerable to other gods and goddesses, other means of getting saved, vulnerable to those who are more powerful, in her case, men, taking from, from her what they wanted sexually. And so for her, fractured woman, no place in the culture, possessing a body that was of some value in the eyes of powerful men, would open herself to them for some kind of an exchange, of course, leaving her all the more full of shame. These men having taken something that could never be returned to her. Never. When you open yourself like that, regardless of what you say about it or what you claim to feel about it, someone takes something that can never be returned. There's a, there's a, there's a moral robbery 
that goes on, even if one participates in it. And so dignity is taken over and over and over again, and all that fills it in its place is shame. So this is a, this is a divided woman. That's why St. Paul speaks of sexual sin, not as a worser sin, but simply that it's, it's a more penetrating and divisive sin to our personhood. So its impact is just more profound in its capacity to divide us. And she would have been a kind of embodiment of that divisiveness. The second figure is a smart religious guy, a Pharisee. He's probably quite sexually pure. His tribe set the standard for holiness. And with one glance, he knows this sinful woman is infectious, capable, guilty of polluting the holy ones. So it's a paradox in that culture that the marginalized that participated in unclean acts, especially the women, were seen as the ones who were polluting the men who had the power and were taking advantage of them. So it's the women who were suspect, not the men in that culture. And the women were seen as the agents of seduction and pollution, though they had no power. So double shame uh, foisted upon the women. And with the same glance, he conveys to her that she is a living shame. So one glance one glance from a powerful man putting her in her place. You have no place here. You're a living shame. Your very presence will be infectious to better people. One glance. That was what he believed, and that is what he communicated with his eyes. Her worship of Jesus tempts this Pharisee to doubt Jesus. He thinks to himself, how can a man, a holy man, he's trying to figure out who Jesus is, how can he tolerate this vulgar demonstration of affection from an unclean woman? So two people seeking Jesus, a thoughtful religious man, not sure as to who this Jesus is, and a sinner who is just grateful for her cure. She's just grateful. This is my cure. He's already won her over. He's already persuaded her that his loving kindness is better than her divided life. He's already wooed her. Now all she wants to do is just... Just love him. I want to be close to you. I want to be near my cure. My life isn't very good. I want to be near my cure. That's what she wanted. It's weird. This was the Pharisee's home, and yet he makes little room for Jesus in his home. Well, the woman who had broken into the Pharisee's house. 
makes Jesus her home. She disregards her accuser for the joy set before her. Her heart was just fixed on him. She didn't have time to worry about accusing eyes. The eyes of her heart were rightfully fixed on the cure. So she washes his feet with gratitude. She gives him herself. She flings open the doors of her once shameful house. And he just floods it. That's what he does. We open the doors. We think, oh, I've got to open the doors. I'm a little ashamed. My house isn't so great. It's kind of a mess. I don't like what I've done with it. But I open it to you, Jesus. Come in. You come. You'll make a difference. You'll clear it out. You'll restore something that's good. So he floods her with his mercy, makes her a living temple. So she worships. Worthy is the Lamb who bore my shame, who makes me virgin again. Only Jesus. Only he can restore your integrity where it's been compromised. Many of us, you know, we look at our resumes, especially as Christians, and it's like, oof, oh, I, don't, I don't want anybody to see that. I mean, for some of us, not all, I knew better. I had been bought with a price, filled with the Spirit, and look what I did. Jesus says, oh, I know, I feel bad about that too. Make you virgin again. Make you new. Make you new. You know, get into that relationship. You got to tell him or her the truth. You better. You know what I'm saying? Okay, we're getting to know each other now. You need to know a little bit about me. You know, don't just say, oh, it's all under the blood. It is. Okay, it is. Got it. But you need to know, man. These things happen, but guess what? I'm new. I'm new. Jesus made me new. I hope you believe that the way I do. He made me new. I'm new for you. Amen? I'm new for you. I love that. Only Jesus only Jesus can do that. She knew that. She worshipped him. This is the power of gratitude. It gives us authority to break shame. It's not to say we don't have any shame. That's why we're like a little timid. Like, oh, I, I wish I didn't have to tell you this. I wish I, wish I had lived as a virgin. <laughs> I had only had integrity all my days, but I, I wasn't born a Christian. 
I was kind of a Christian and just kind of a pagan and wanted to make people happy and I did dumb stuff. I, got, I have some shame about that, but the shame is no longer going to stop me from worshiping this Jesus. And because of him, because of his mercy, appropriately I can tell the truth about my life. I don't have to live a fake life or a divided life. Because of his mercy, I can tell the truth. No longer dominated by the shame or the sin. Actually flooded with his mercy. Made new. Merciful. We live thankfully before this one who has cured us and who is our cure today. I'm one such worshiper. Jesus freed me from homosexuality years ago. I've not looked back. I look forward. The eyes of my heart are fixed on my cure. I'm fully engaged with this merciful Jesus and his community. Forty years ago, having just finished school in L.A., the church I was at in revival, lots of people coming to the Lord, coming out of diverse, broken backgrounds, many of them, you know, uh, sexually broken, Pastor said, hey, Andy, would you share your story in front of this church? Um, people need to know what Jesus can do. Could you tell the whole story? Uh, could, could the glory of Jesus eclipse your shame and make a way for others to come into this church? And I was dating this great girl, my wife now, married to her almost 40 years. I said, honey... This is about you too, right? Amen? You married into this mess. Live to tell, girl. So she said, yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's be a bridge. Let's be a bridge. Let's help people like us, broken people, to really find their roots in this healing community. So you can always say, oh, healing community, oh, family of God, oh, 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 oh. It's like, well, what does that mean? It's got to be more than just a Sunday morning or a great worship set. It's got to be about actually saying, these are now my people. I didn't have a people before, but, but now I've received mercy. So I need to find the merciful people. That has to be my tribe now. That has to define me. All these other faces and people trying to define me. I wanted them to, but now I know that isn't best. What's best is the people that gather around this merciful Jesus. So we were in such a community like this one, and this became the beginning of Living Waters. So my wife and I began to gather with persons of different kinds of brokenness, and to just lead them into safe places. These are profound issues, right? And they're, they are shameful, and, and they're also deep. 
And so it requires getting to know people and developing trust with people that you can actually open up a little bit more because we're talking about hard stuff. We're talking about abuses in our family. We're talking about people that we should have been able to trust that actually in some ways weren't trustworthy. Uh, we're talking about marriages and families that are adulterous or lots of things. And so we need people that are mature, people that we can say, hey, I really want to know Jesus in these areas. Would you, would you help me find this, this, this Jesus, this merciful one? Can you help me to make that exchange? of these very difficult things for a restored dignity. And would you help me learn what that is and actually learn how to live that? Not just to know the truth at one level, but to live the truth. Because now, as a Christian, someone who admittedly comes out of a broken background, I need to learn how to be true for somebody else. Not to just repeat or be just another generational link in a history of infidelity or adultery or confusion or kind of shiny religion and then really fractured lives. Jesus doesn't want that. Jesus wants us to be real and to admit that it's hard and we make choices about our cure every day and he's actually healing us. And actually, I'm not catting around. Actually, I've been a faithful man for 40 years. You know, no special friends, right? Oh, daddy's special friends. No special friends. My kids are my friends. And they know that their dad's faithful. He's kind of weird, but he's faithful. You know, there you go. Poor children. Pray for my children. <laughs> I have two great friends here, and uh, they serve with me. I'm so grateful. Living Waters here with Tom and Terry, always about a team, always about people from different backgrounds, all of them broken, receiving healing, serving other people in a very tender and consistent way. Well, we do this in Kansas City where our base is, and these two have discovered Jesus as the defender of their integrity and speak of it so beautifully. So I want them to share a little bit with you about their lives. So Abby, she's the executive director, and Marco, who will come up right after, is the assistant director. So I am in good hands with them. Amen. Thanks so much for having us. It really does feel like home for me to be here worshiping with you all. I was a part of a church in Atlanta for, well, I was in Atlanta for 12 years, but I was a part of this wonderful church for about nine years. And your worship, your freedom, just the grace with which you fight to enter into praise, it reminds me of that home. And so my, my heart, my worship, my worship internally just feels at rest with you all. So thank you for what you two have cultivated here Thank you for the freedom in worship. I mean, what we're talking today is what it actually cost us to be able to worship like you do, because it does cost us something 
to enter in with freedom to the place of worshiping Jesus. And the enemy starts young in all of our lives, seeking to tear us down, honestly, in the most subtle and sometimes not very loud ways, but things, arrows go in so deep and we start walking with a limp for the next 10, 20, 30 years. And I say when I teach one of our chapters in Living Waters, most of us are walking around with injuries that happened in third and fifth and 12th grades. You know, we were shaped by those things, those parents, those peer relationships. And we walk with a limp now because we've never applied Jesus's love in, in the place where my sister was talking about in worship, where we just bring that conversation, conversation to Jesus. Say, Jesus, restore this part of me. When I read this scripture passage, I see it through the lens of this woman who had to fight to worship Jesus. I mean, she lived under that shame, and she lived having to press forward to find freedom. And frankly, it was probably very few times in her life before meeting Jesus that she was able to do that and actually feel celebrated in that place, that her, the worthiness of her pressing into freedom actually manifested something. Probably her attempts to find freedom were kind of slaps in the face, right? The scornful, mocking eyes. And my story, though not dramatic in many ways, is the story of the subtle injuries of a soul. And for me, I think early on, the enemy knew that if he could grip me and put me under fear and anxiety through interpersonal exchanges, a girl a couple years older than me, pushing me into some sexual behavior that distorted something, exposure to pornography and masturbation, all of those things put a lid on my freedom to become everything that I was made to be. And I remember getting to the place, really as time passed, where, where to be free and expressive with myself felt risky to the point where I wouldn't do it. And so I just hid. Some of us get louder and we become projected images. We put on a strong face and we get louder. And some of us retreat inward and push ourselves to the fringes saying, no, Jesus, you know, I don't think I really want to be seen anymore. And for me, that, that culminated in some real inability to engage my peers in healthy ways. And so places like dances, I would stand on the wall and just kind of hope no one sees me, like just get through this, tolerate this place in high school, middle school, all of those glorious times, right? That we're thankful we never have to go back to. But I remember one time standing on the wall and this one guy who's like kind of the guy that everyone wanted and saw, he came over to the wall in the middle of this dance and he just pulls me off the wall and he takes me to the dance floor. And you know, it's like those little preteen romance movies where like, the stars are aligning and something's happening and I'm dancing with this guy and I'm thinking, one part of me says surrender, enjoy. The other part says, what is, what's wrong here? There's, there's a risk here and I'm not quite sure I should worship, quote unquote. I'm not sure I should give myself so freely. But something in me, and I think we do this sometimes because we're, we're people of hope. We want to hope. We want to hope for good. We want to hope for good gifts. So something in me in that moment just said, you know what, Abby, like let it all loose. Just enjoy this, swoon in his eyes, whatever it, it ends up being. Well, I go to the bathroom after we have this kind of starstruck dance, and I'm in this stall thinking, what just happened to me? Like, what's going on? You know, the little part of the, the feminine hope rising up. And the girls coming in the bathroom after that and beginning to slander me and saying, did you see what he was doing dancing with that girl? 
why did he choose that girl? And then the other one's saying, actually, he wants this other girl. And the only reason he pulled her off is because he wants to show this other girl that he can do whatever he wants, but really he's going to go after her. And this arrow solidified something in my soul that to be seen and to be chosen as a woman in the place of honestly, the place where women are deeply made to be seen, right? To be covered and chosen and able to be uninhibited in offering their gift. That's what Adam and Eve did. Eve offered her gift in an uninhibited way because the man in front of her said, I'll cover your gift. I delight in your gift. I want your gift. So she offered freely because he secured her in love. And in this moment, the realization that this man, I mean, teenage boy, what, what could he really offer me? But, but he couldn't secure me in love. He couldn't offer covering. He could only seek to use and exploit for his own gain. And how many of us are under that, even today in our life, looking at people as, the, as kind of the objects of using us for their own gain, for their own image? Well, the Jesus who I've come to love has shown me a different way. And when I, in response to those subtle arrows, the injuries progressively over the course of my life, when I responded to those, I just said, push me to the side, Jesus. I don't have, I don't really want to risk this anymore. I don't want to risk for love or connection or to be seen. That's too much. I remember a time in a church, in the same church that I spoke of earlier, and I, I was feeling this stirring, like, Abby, you have to integrate, you have to connect. And something in me was like, no, retreat, all the, the red alarm bells, right? Run, get away, don't talk to people, hide. Ran to the bathroom again. You know, God does funny things in bathrooms. But <laughs> ran to the bathroom, and I'm like, Jesus, I just, I want to leave now. I'm done. I'm leaving this event. I don't want to be with these people. I don't trust them. They won't love me. They won't see who I really am. And Jesus just said, Abby, I want you to go back out there. I want you to know that I am literally at your side. And I felt his presence like we do when he shows up, right? I felt his presence. And he said, when you go out there and when you offer yourself, I want you to stand. I want you to initiate with people. I want you to converse with them. I want you to love them. And if they receive you, know that they're not just receiving you. They're receiving me. And in, in that place, you're secure because it's, it's my glory that's shining through you. So when they receive you, it's not the pressure on your perfection. You don't have to be perfect. That's not why they're receiving you. They're receiving you because there's glory on you. That's mine. And when they reject you, or if they reject you, know that I understand and bear the imprint of rejection. And so my rejection should not stop you from offering my gift to them. I will bear the wound with you. And this Jesus, who stands like he did with this woman and receives our offering and says, I just want to be in fellowship with you. When, we receive, when he receives us like he does, he gives us a confidence to move into the world, to move into other broken communities with empathy, with kindness, and saying, you know what? See me as you will, but this Jesus who's with me is going to love you well in spite of your ability to see me well, this Jesus who loves me and who doesn't reject you, doesn't reject me, and we stand in worship together. And that's who we are, right, as the body of Christ. We stand in worship of Jesus, and when others really see that, they enter into the place of worship with us. And that's what you're doing here. I think that's what draws people to this church is true broken vessels, worshiping Jesus, knowing that he's securing you, us in love, and alluring the rest of God's children, wandering and lost, though they may still be, inviting them to be secured in that same worship.
Good morning, everybody. My name is Marco Castanova. Uh, again, I want to thank Pastor Rick and Diana. You guys honor us so much. It's, you guys have an incredible pastor. So bless, bless you, man. It's, it's really, really great. I love Luke 7, and I think I'm a little bit of both, the sinful woman and the Pharisee. I, I just see it in myself. Maybe, maybe there's not Pharisaic eyes glancing at you. Maybe it, you're your own Pharisee. I know that was for me. It's like, why, why do you go to Jesus like that? Do you really think he can change you there? If the cross cannot transform my brokenness, it's an underwhelming, burdensome, impotent message. But Jesus can transform us. I was in the seminary. I'm a Catholic. I studied to be a Catholic priest for about eight years. And during the course of that, I really came to grips with my need for Jesus to meet me in my place of, of sexual brokenness, struggled with the vulnerability of same-sex attraction and addiction to pornography. But there was a kind of a, a promise to not say a word. Don't say a word. Jesus can't heal you there. It's funny, in Luke 7, the Pharisee talks to himself. He's in his own mind. And then Jesus answers it. I love that. And Jesus answered me. I was in my own mind. And he wooed me to just speak it out to him. Give it to me. Give it to me. Where in your life do you think that Jesus cannot heal you? Jesus says today, give it to me. Give it to me. Say it to me. Say it in the midst of the church. See the power of my cross in the place where you find the deepest darkness, I was doing things that was really dividing me, acting out with other men. Um, the addiction had gotten out of control. I was starting to be a priest. So it was this sort of religious face with such deep corruption. And Jesus answered my prayer. I, wanted, I want to be a saint. I want to be excellent for the kingdom. And he wooed me to be this, honestly, this woman at his feet is quite virtuous. There's a virtue there. There's a virtue in some of you. I see it when you worship. You're on the floor saying, Jesus, I need you. There's a messiness to that, isn't it? But that, that's a virtuous mess. Jesus on the cross, right? You can imagine it with me. His heart is open, and there's blood and water flooding forth. John 19. That's a messy scene, y'all. But it's his mess that heals ours. And from that, Jesus really broke the domination of homosexuality in my life and really released me from a sort of despair, like a worldly sorrow. I remember I just kind of just thought, well, I'm not made for marriage, not made for anything more, so I'll just be a celibate. Celibacy is beautiful in, in its own right, but it's not a hiding place. It's not a hiding place for people who are under the domination of something. And Jesus just gently said, who told you that? I didn't say that over you. Allow me to speak over you. Allow me to clean your wounds, and I'll set you free for more. Thanks for having me. Beautiful. 
our areas of transformation or areas where Jesus is wanting to do a deeper area, uh, a deeper work in us, um, is not kind of our private right, our private domain. I mean, it is personal, but it actually has relevance for all people. The story that Jesus has written and wants to write on your life in the areas where you most need him, in the areas where you're aware that there's certain things that have sought domination over you, familiar things, generational maybe, or maybe not. Regardless, you own them for yourself. Those areas are the very keys of the kingdom of God that unlock other people's lives if you're willing to tell. And I don't mean sick exhibitionism. I mean simple, spirit-led expression, such as what I gave 40 years ago at my church. Living Waters, there's deep pools of healing throughout the world because my pastors had the wherewithal to say, would you share on a you know 102-degree Sunday afternoon in our crummy rented high school building, which we called church. Would you share with these thousand people about what Jesus did? And that's what he did with it. That's what Jesus wants to do with you in the area where you just think, I don't want anyone to know this. I'm not saying you're all called to public ministry in that area. I'm just saying there's keys to the kingdom in your story. If, if we're going to extend that with integrity and in a way that's wise, then we, we probably need more healing. We maybe need a round of living waters. For some of us, it may be our sixth round of living waters. So be it. I don't care. It's just saying, Lord, I want to be short up. I want this turned around, not just in my life, but for other people who suffer the way I do. I want this turned around. And that ain't going to come through becoming more professional. It's going to come about by expressing exquisitely the way that Jesus has written his story in that shameful area and made it a fountain of gratitude for his mercy. That's what breaks strongholds. That's the saving word of God, I think, that's going to make most of the difference in our culture today. It's not, a, it's not going to be about ethics. Oh, you don't really know that's wrong, do you? No. It's about Jesus did something so much greater than I ever knew. If you knew the gift, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, if you only knew it, You'd leave that dude down the hill. If you knew the gift, not, what are you doing in bed with the... If you knew the gift, let's make that gift known through the gift that we have received. Let's be specific. As the Spirit leads, let's tell the truth. Not just give a canned message. Believe me, in Virginia Beach, people have heard the message but they've not heard the way that it's actually broken into that really difficult and divided area of your life. They've never heard that. 
Pastor doesn't lead off with that. Well, maybe this one does. <laughs> You're blessed. <laughs> Usually it's like a shiny ethic. It's just a great Bible teaching. It's like, oh, is that what holiness is? That's beautiful. Oh, I'm not. I, I, I can't do that. I'm not good at that. But when you hear this Jesus who enters into the depth and unlocks us at the core and reveals his gift there that unfurls like a holy flag, that changes lives. So I want to give you an invitation today. Maybe you're saying, well, I'd like Jesus to do that, but I want to do it wisely, so I, I want him to show me, right? That's so fair. That is totally fair. These are some difficult things. But we want to pray for you. Could I have the Living Waters team please come up? Um, and we're just going to pray for you and just say, Lord, come on. Come on. I, I, want, to, I want this thing turned around for the saving of many lives. I want it turned around for the saving of many lives. That sounds grand, but I believe it. So uh, if I could have, if there's any more Living Waters people or the prayer ministry team, prayer yeah, ministry, please, Come on. yeah, prayer ministry team, yeah, Amen. And I, I just want to pray over you. And and again, I'm not commissioning you to a particular ministry. I'm simply saying there's a key of God's kingdom in you that's intended to unlock many lives. And I just want to bless that. Amen? Could we say that? So if you would like that blessing, if you would like that key in some ways baptized <laughs> today in the power of the Holy Spirit, just, just come up. Come up. And I'm going to pray out. And these guys are going to pray particularly for you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. These are areas where you've seen God touch you. There's been release. And you know there's something burning in you that wants that release to release many lives. And so, God, I just ask right now, I think there's a couple more of you. It's like a fire. It's something in you. It's something in you. And God wants to do something. It may just be shoring you up today, but it's for tomorrow's harvest. It may be for today's harvest too. I don't know. So Lord, I just want to bless these ones. Yep, there's a woman right over here. There's a woman, beautiful woman right here that will pray for you too. Thanks, you guys. You guys are lovely. Love you guys. Father, I just want to thank you so much for each one here. Each one here, God. Thank you, God. God, I just pray for just to fan into flame the hope. Yeah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Quicken this work, God. Quicken it. Guard it. Deepen it. I see for some of you, God is actually 
like building a, a kind of protection around you in this area because he's still tending to this area. And he's, he's going to do a thorough work. I bless that, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I want to speak fire on your lips. I want to speak a courage to your lips. Those of you who have been silenced by this, where shame has, I see like tape over your mouth. It silenced you, and Jesus so tenderly. I see like an oil. It's like the oil of his love for you. It's just, it's gotten into the adhesive and it's, he, he's not ripping it. He's just gently removing this veil, this mask of shame. So you can speak. And I see fire on your words. There's a fire on your words for the purpose of breaking strongholds. And you're going to be speaking on behalf of many who have been silenced. I bless that God. Lord, I thank you that this is about your clear wisdom and guidance. But I, I, I see many seeing and hearing. You're representing many who have been imprisoned by shameful silence. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. just the integrity of the marriage that are represented here. One thing my wife and I experienced is that we had to be really united in what we shared because we're one flesh. We impact the other. Uh, so I pray for a unity and a strengthening of the marriages that are here in Jesus' name.
I see, um, I see something glorious resting upon you. Uh, it's the glory of God that's greater than shame. Uh, and in telling your story, the glory will permeate and overtake the shame. And I, I see some of you going out from this place and there's sort of a glorious flame on you and on your lips, on the word of your testimony. And it's blazing a trail out there. It's not just an in-church thing. The church's job is to help you to integrate, help you to heal. But then we go out with this glorious flame. And I see you like blazing a trail. And trails are being made in the community for people then to return and to trust in the Lord. For people that were lost on a day of darkness. People who no longer trust the church because of damage done. You're blazing a trail through the word of your testimony and you're saying, come, I'll walk with you back. Let's, let's return and trust in the Lord. Thank you for this, Lord. Thank you for these trailblazers. Bless them, Lord. Stand around the room. Would you stand? Everyone just stand for a moment. You don't have to stand. Those of you that can't, please. If not, please feel free to remain seated. You're going to be here for a while. I want you to lift up your hands, and I want you to receive this gift. Would you receive this gift? Wherever you are, wherever you are, I want you to receive the gift of the purity of heaven, the purity of Christ. Just receive that. I want you to receive that as you've confessed, as you offered yourself to him. There are areas of your life that you are yet, you have yet to relinquish because you're, you sometimes feel as though if it were ever spoken of, that Christ would reject you. He has not rejected you. I want you to receive the purity of Christ in your life. Earlier, Andy, the, the, just... The, the, the virginity, the, the sweetness, the cleansing, 
to go back to a place that you thought was forever lost. And I, I tell you to receive the purity. And you might need to worship him from that place, Lord. I praise you for cleansing me. I praise you for making me holy. I praise you for allowing your goodness to invade the depth of my heart. To walk, I'm going to use this, to walk through your generations back to the place of your wounding, the, the place where somehow you felt like you lost touch. As the Lord walks to that place, I tell you, before the woman ever bathed the feet of Jesus, Jesus first bathed her in his holiness, in his righteousness, in his healing. Offer him your worship now. Offer him your worship and give him thanks for your cleansing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Listen, we can't just close a gathering like this. But as you choose, you're welcome to be dismissed. I want you to go in the grace, the blessings, the favor, and the peace of Christ. Be dismissed when you choose. You may give. There are offering envelopes. You may give as you leave. And you may also meet someone at the Desert Streams table in the main foyer. There are books. If you haven't read Strength and Weakness by Andy, you should pick that book up and you should read it. The Lord bless you all and give you peace. Take your time. Pray. Say they're going to continue to sing. We're going to continue this prayer time. If you have not come for prayer, there are those who are waiting here to meet you and to pray for you. I love you. I can't wait to see you again. Let me know of your needs. Contact us here at the church. We love you. Peace in Christ. Take your time.